Good morning, everybody. You would join with me, please, on page 175. 175. Promises of Christ my King, who eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Promises of Christ our Lord, bound to Him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, good to see everybody here today and good to be back in town certainly it was a good trip and appreciate so many of you with your thoughts and uh, prayers and uh, it was a joy to go down and see my mom and then come back and like I said earlier this morning it's good to go away but it's always good to come home and we thank the Lord for that and good to be back here let's bow our heads in a good word of prayer Mark brother Mark good to see you this morning been praying for you and uh, happy birthday he's got a birthday this morning so uh, he's only 29 and plus, right? On the plus side of 29, somewhere in there. So good to see you this morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the privilege to be here this morning. We pray that you'll bless the time that we spend together around your word. I pray that it'll be a precious time to us, something that uh, our hearts are thrilled with. And as we leave here, we rejoice in having been here this morning. I pray that you'll guide and direct with your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And may we uh, see some things changed in our lives as we come to your word. 
that it will instruct us in righteousness and where it's needed that it will reprove and reprove uh, bring reproof and correction to our hearts and Lord I pray that you would help us in these days especially to recognize conviction when it comes not to be looking at it and saying well that offended me but that we come to your word and we say that there's true conviction of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts that helps to draw us and cause us to be more of what we ought to be for you that we can glorify you better that we can love you more and so Father I pray in these days that you would give us that spiritual discernment to understand and know those things and then, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, uh, help as we have the time of fellowship and the time of singing to encourage us and strengthen us and uh, be preparing us for the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll make just a couple of quick announcements we did not get in the bulletin this week. Uh, back when we did our uh, budget for the year, and we had our business meeting right before we had some bad weather and a couple weeks of uh, some ice here. Uh, we had talked about two things, and we have been working on them. Uh, one of them is uh, getting a couple of more deacons, at least one more and perhaps possibly two. Uh, and we have been working on that and been praying about that with some folks and uh, continue to pray with that. Hopefully here within a week or two we'll have something to bring to the church for you to pray about, and then we'll make a, a decision on that and begin to vote uh, to see what God would have us to do in that. Secondly, has been our missions program, and I mentioned a little bit in Sunday school this morning that for the first uh, year or so, a couple years here, uh, being a pastor, there were certain things that we focused on that we wanted to make sure our church was well grounded uh, on some issues, especially doctrinal issues, issues of scripture, uh, issues of our purpose and philosophy of ministry, and uh, we wanted to make sure that our church was very, very solid and, and well-footed on those things so that uh, when we go into outreach and we begin to do missions work and we begin to do soul winning work, that uh, our church is, is on a good foundation to begin those things and to work with them. That being said, uh, we're going to be focusing in the next several weeks on our missions program. I gave a little handout this morning. If you didn't get one in Sunday school, if you didn't get one of those, if you'll see me after church, uh, I do have that uh, available for our folks um, uh, on the importance of having a missions policy here at our church. And I want us to consider these things. We're going to be looking at our missionaries that we currently support over the next few weeks. And there's a couple of them we may need to pray about and see what God would have us to do if we continue to support them uh, or if we maybe perhaps move our missions dollars into some other directions. But uh, be praying that God would give us uh, a heart for this from a biblical perspective. Uh, folks, we don't want to just become emotional about our, our missions. We want to do what God wants us to do something that is Christ-honoring. And so pray about that. Uh, we're going to be teaching on some things over the next several weeks, probably more so um, in the afternoon sessions on Sundays. Um, and uh, if you can come and be a part of those, I would encourage you to. We're going to be dealing with uh, biblical philosophy of missions and, and what the Bible has to say about some of these things um, to help us all be of one mind and one spirit and one accord when it comes to us pursuing a missions program here at our church. Uh, we want to be not just giving a few dollars here and there and not even know who our missionaries are. I want our people to know our missionaries. I want them to know who their wives are, their kids are, who the field is that they're serving, what field they're serving on. I want them to know about their ministries. Uh, I want us to adopt missionaries, if you will, in our hearts and our minds and, and uh, contact them, be in, in correspondence with them. I was... Um, I was out with a missionary, a good friend of mine, Dave Spangler, a number of years ago. It's been probably 15 years ago. 
I took him to lunch one day, and he had been a, a missionary for probably at that time a little over 20 years, 25 years maybe. I said, Brother Dave, I said, if you could count how many times someone other than the pastor or someone in charge of a missions program at a church has contacted you on the mission field to just find out how things were going and to encourage you and pray for you, I said, how many over 20 years of being a missionary, how many times has that happened that someone just just a member of a church called and said, I'm praying for you, I want to find out about your ministry, how things are going? And he said, Brother Greg, in, five, in 20 years, he said, I could count on one hand the number of people that have ever called me that were not a pastor checking up to make sure their missions dollars were being spent uh, correctly or a missions director or somebody with the missions team of a church. But to have people in the church, uh, we claim to be missions-minded in our, in our Baptist circles. And what we generally mean by that is we support uh, X number of missionaries and we'll put their prayer letters on the wall and we'll send our money. And we might even read the prayer letters occasionally. But oftentimes we would be hard-pressed to name even five of the missionaries we support. Uh, if we could name them, rarely could we mention who, what field they're on. And if we could do that, we, we would probably not even know who their families were. And uh, I, I want us to be a church that if we're going to be a missions-minded church, I want us to be missions-minded. I want us to know our missionaries and uh, to correspond with them, to, to get to know them well and uh, to encourage them and labor alongside of them from the state side of things in those mission fields and uh, try to meet their needs. And so all of that being said, uh, we're going to be putting an emphasis uh, over the next several months on our missions program. We're going to hopefully teach our church some things uh, that will be helpful to us in guiding and steering us in the direction we should go with missions from God's Word. I want you to be praying for that, uh, that God will use that. Uh, again, I've been in churches where... Um, a lot of times the missions program gets to be uh, a matter of the personality of the family. We like them. Boy, they're, Pastor, we really like that family, you know. But are we really looking at the biblical reasons to support a mission? And uh, I want us to make sure that we're in agreement on those things. And uh, so we'll be looking at those things. Pray that God will give us direction over the next few months and be praying as we make some decisions regarding our missions program. I'm looking forward to it. I have a great heart for missions. And uh, when I went to, uh, I got out of uh, high school, graduated high school, went off to college, uh, I had such a heart for missions, Haiti especially. I've shared with some of you about this. And uh, when I was a little kid, I met a, a national pastor from Haiti named Ludovic Lewis. And just God broke my heart for Haiti from the time I was a little kid. And uh, went to college and studied, uh, went into missions major at college and was planning on going to the mission field, going to Haiti. And uh, halfway through my college career, I began working with young people, uh, inner city kids in the city up in Chicago area, and uh, God broke my heart for young people. And so uh, I went that direction rather than missions, but I've always had that lingering love for missions and uh, wanted to go to mission fields and, and visit and, and help missionaries out. And God, every, every time I tried to go on a missions trip, it seemed like the door would close on it. And uh, then several years ago in, in Florida... Uh, I became pastor down there at the church, and a mission organization moved into our town called Missionary Flights International. And believe it or not, they were primarily focused on helping missionaries in Haiti, of all places. And some people will say, well, Brother Greg, that's a coincidence. <laughs> I don't think that was a coincidence. And uh, the president of that uh, organization came and joined our church, he and his wife, Brother Dick and Linda Snook, dear friends of mine. And it wasn't long before he called me up one day and said, Pastor, Pastor, 
Would you got a, a you, do you have a passport? I said, no. He said, you might want to get one. Uh, he said, uh, I'd like to take you down to Haiti. And over the years, uh, several years, God gave me the great, great joy of going there and laboring and working with those missionaries. And uh, you know how the Bible talks about the fact that if we uh, honor God and we, we love Him, that He'll give us the desires of our heart many times. And I look at that and I think, boy, uh, God had different plans for me, which I followed, and I, I felt that this was what God had for me to do. But in, in years down the road in ministry, God allowed me to have some of the great desires of my heart. And I went to uh, Haiti, and then a few months later, another fellow said, uh, I'd like to take you down to, uh, to uh, El Salvador and go on a missions trip down there in El Salvador, and then uh, the Bahamas and several places. And God allowed me to begin to go on these missions trips. And there were, there were moments, there were several times that as I was leaving the field, uh, I would weep because the work was so great, and there were so few laborers. And uh, I remember thinking, boy, if God would even crack a window of opportunity for me to go to the mission field, uh, if my wife then had ever said, hey, Greg, I think maybe we ought to consider going to the mission, and she wouldn't even get the words out of her mouth, we'd be packed and out the door. I love missions. And uh, I want us to pray for this. I'd like to see us even perhaps consider in the next year or two taking a missions trip with our church. I, I, I came back from Haiti the very first time I ever went down there. And I thought, Lord, if I could just pack our whole church up, take them down there for just a few days. I'll tell you this, you would never, never look at serving God the same way again. Your Christian life would be absolutely changed. Uh, you can't go to a place like that, see the things that you see and experience the things you experience, and God not change your heart on some things. And uh, so I want you to pray about that. I know that was a lengthy announcement, just saying we're going to be looking at our missions program. But pray with us. Uh, we want to be a missions-minded church. We do. And I, I don't think that, that that's just by saying we have a large number of missionaries we support. I'd rather see us take care of the ones that we have and take good care of them and uh, help them. Uh, it becomes a, if we're not careful... It'll become a status symbol for our church to say, well, we have, we support 40 missionaries. Okay, name me five of them. You know, a lot of churches can't. Or uh, we support uh, 50 missionaries or 100 missionaries. We give them all $10 a month. Oh, that we would see God do something in our missions program. And uh, we'll share some of that. I've shared some of my heart with you this morning on that. But uh, we'll share some more of that with you over the next several weeks. And uh, pray that God will help us with this. I think it's time now for our church to look at these outreach programs. There were some things that we needed to deal with here locally and in our own church. And I think the time is ripe. The heart of our people is right uh, to begin now looking outside the walls of this place and saying, now what can we do to help reach others? What can we do to help take what we've got here and send it out into a world that needs it? And so I want you to be praying over the next several months as we do that. All right? Can you help us with that? We sure would appreciate it. All right, Brother Keith. Page 212. 
Guys, I haven't sang since probably the last time I was up here. My voice is a little off kilter. We're going to have fun with this next song, page 334. Try to put a little Irish twang in your voice. That's how the song's supposed to be sung. It's fun that way. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be Thou in me and 
praise I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only are first in my heart. I King of heaven, my treasure thou. Bibles this morning, if you will, turn to Matthew chapter number 5, uh, chapter 4, excuse me, Matthew chapter number 4, and I uh, had another message this morning, we're going to go a different route, and um, perhaps we'll have the other message this afternoon. Matthew chapter number 4. John the Baptist had just been um, cast into prison, was getting ready uh, to die a martyr's death. And uh, the Bible says in verse number 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in his ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went through all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy. <clears throat> And he healed, uh, my Bible's torn there, sorry about that. Somebody help me with those next three words. He and healed them. That's what I thought it said. Okay. It was ripped there. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this afternoon, this morning, and Lord, use it. I don't know why it's... Uh, just a different message, I believe, that you have for us. And I pray that uh, over the next few moments that you will uh, allow it to work in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, help us to understand the truth of it. 
and put it into practice in our lives. And Father, there's such a great work to be done. I pray that you would help us in these days to recognize it and understand the urgency of it. And pray that you would give us the strength, physically, spiritually, that you would empower us and help us to uh, be useful, to be effective in doing the work that you've called us to do, the purpose that you have for us and, and the, uh, the work that is so uh, readily available to us. May we see it, recognize it for what it is, and then throw our shoulders to the task. I pray that you would strengthen and guide and direct us in the days and weeks ahead. Lord, such a work to be done in our area and around this world, I pray that you would help us to be diligent in these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've read here the account of Matthew's account of the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, His earthly ministry. And the Bible says that as He walked by the Sea of Galilee, in verse number 18, that He saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers of men. There's some lessons we can learn from these men. One of them is that they were uh, men of character. They were men who knew how to work hard. They, they were not shy of the work that they did. The fishing business and industry was not one of those things that was uh, uh, for the weak or the, the timid, but this was these were men's men. These were men that uh, knew what it was to labor in the hot sun and to uh, work. And in fact, we're going to see here in just a little bit the extent to which they worked and that they labored in their area of fishing. And uh, the, the, uh, the character of these folks uh, in laboring and working, and we're living in a day where uh, our society has raised a, a generation of folks, and now probably two or three generations of folks, that have grown lazy and have not learned the work ethic that our fathers had and our grandfathers had and our great-grandfathers had. And as a result of that, we've taken our ease. And sad to say that sometimes it helps, it begins to infiltrate into our churches when it comes to the area of our service to God. Uh, the idea that uh, there is a great work to be done out there. I, I love preaching the feel-good sermons and preaching about how great God is. And boy, I love that. I love speaking of the love of God and how we are to love one another. And I love doing that. We do teach a lot on that in our church. And I think it's beneficial and edifying for us to do that. But occasionally, sometimes, we have to deal with the issue that God has also given us a great work to be done. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, as he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven, he leaves his disciples with a, what we call the Great Commission and says to them that they're to go into all the world and that they're to go uh, preaching the Word of God everywhere they go. They're to teach all nations. They're to baptize. They're to disciple people. They're to bring uh, people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and then to educate them in all of the things that, that Christ had spent years teaching them. And this work is to be given uh, to each and every one of us that, that name the name of Christ. Uh, this, this task of reaching this world with the gospel. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves, uh, as the generations decline in their work ethics physically, we as God's people oftentimes decline at the same rate or even sometimes faster in the area of not laboring as we should for the Lord. There are times we need to be stirred up. There are times we need to be reminded of the urgency of the task at hand. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, he said, "Don't say." Uh, he said, "Say not yet. There are, there are yet three months until harvest." 
He said, lift up your eyes unto the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. There's a great work to be done. And if the the fields were white during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you, they're even more white today than they've ever been. We're living in a time, I was reading some things this week as I was on vacation trying to catch up on some things that I wanted to read. I was reading some things in the evening hours one night as I laid there in the room. And uh, the idea that uh, right now there's about 4,000 churches every year in the United States of America that are shutting their doors. About 4,000 of them. On, on any given year, there's about 1,500 or so of those that will never reopen again. Meaning that there are some that are, there, there are certainly some new churches being started, but not at the rate that they're closing. Pastors that are dropping off and, and, and retiring and resigning from the works and not even to go back into Christian service again. It's amazing to me that at the rate of about 1,200 a year, preachers that are saying, I'm not ever going back into ministry ever again. They don't go soul winning. They don't knock on a door. They don't darken the door of a church. And we're not talking about just people who got disgruntled in church. We're talking about pastors. I was talking. I was listening to a missionary give a, a, a testimony uh, last week, and he made this statement. He said, "Right now, they've got about four thousand missionaries. Sometimes some records have five thousand missionaries a year that are returning from the field." And he said, "At best, we'll have a thousand return to to replace them. At best." We're living in a day where the work is getting greater and greater and greater. When I was a kid, there was about 6.5 to 6.7 billion people in the world. I heard a statistic the other day that we're now at about 7.8 billion people in the world. And if anything, the task has grown larger, and yet the workers are even fewer than they were 30 years ago or 20 years ago. Where are the laborers? My heart has been so stirred for missions recently and knowing that we need to do more with our missions program. The truth of the matter is we need to do more in reaching people with the gospel with our own church. There are people literally within just a few feet of our church that need to hear the gospel. I read from a a, a mission organization just this week a a statistic that appalled me. Out of all the countries in the world today, the country that is the second at having the most missionaries being sent to it to be reaching that country with the gospel is the United States of America. We're second in the world of having missionaries sent to us to reach us. If we're going to be a missions-minded church in the days and weeks ahead, folks, can I tell you this? We have no further to walk than outside our front doorstep to find a mission field. It's here. We're the second largest country in the world having missionaries sent to it. And us, we sit here and say, well, we, we just don't know where we can go to serve. Uh, walk down your street. Go around the block. And you'll find a place to serve. Jesus called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He begins, as we get in chapter number 4 of the book of Matthew, by calling some men that he's going to train. He's going to teach these men over the next several years how to be fishers of men. 
He starts with men that know and have character, that are men that know how to labor with their hands and know how to work and know how to suffer hardship and know how to suffer turmoil. I'm certain that there were times that they were caught out on the Sea of Galilee in the storms and they weathered the storms. I certainly know that there were times that, that there were uh, long hours and no draught ever brought in. And yet these men were continuing to labor and to work. Can I tell you this? We can learn some things from them. When it comes to our service to God, there may come storms. There may come times that we, we are uh, beaten and, and tossed about, even in our own lives. And, and is that going to be cause enough for us to quit? Or are we going to bear up under the stress and the strain of it? Are we going to bear up and say, we're going to do the work? These men certainly were men who knew how to work. They were men who knew how to go all hours of the night and not see anything. Look with me, if you will, in the book of Luke, chapter number 5. We see Luke's account of this same time period. Luke, chapter number 5, if you will. The Bible says in verse number 1, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he should thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled, what are the next three words? All the night, and have taken nothing. You ever get to the place where you feel like you've been laboring and serving God and there's no fruit? You labor and you labor and you labor and you toil and you think, Boy, I've been going all night, spiritually speaking. I, I've labored and I just don't seem to see anything. Notice what he says. Nevertheless, at what? At thy word. They didn't need any more proof than that. He didn't need any more uh, uh, conjecture. He didn't need any more discussion. He didn't need any more convincing other than the fact that the Lord had said, I want you to do it. Can I tell you this? We don't labor and serve the Lord because uh, we're encouraged by how much fruit we bear. We labor and serve the Lord because He said we're to labor and serve Him. We let down the nets because the Lord has told us to go out and let down the nets. God allows us to serve Him. Are we being diligent in the task at hand? These men knew what it was to labor all night and not catch one thing. And yet they said, nevertheless, at thy word. I'll be honest with you, there's times in my life I've been discouraged when I've seen that I've labored and labored and labored and seen very little fruit for it. There are times that we're tempted to say, well, if that's the way it's going to be, we're just, we're just living in the hard times, Brother Greg. We're living in a world that doesn't have any uh, desire for the things of the Lord, and, and, and there's just no use in doing it. Can we be a nevertheless at thy word type of a Christian? Can we say, Lord, if you tell me to go and to reach the gospel, preach the gospel to every creature, then, then here I am. I, I'll do it. But Brother Greg, we're not seeing any fruit. We're not seeing a lot of revivals sweeping across our country. doesn't matter. We might toil all night. But if the Lord tells us to continue on, we continue on. If God tells us to lower the nets, we lower the nets. Back in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to notice as we get down to verse number, 17, verse number 18. And He saith unto them, Follow Me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they, and I want you to notice this word, what does it say? And they what? 
They, they what? Verse, verse number 20. Matthew chapter 4. Did I say 5? Matthew chapter 4. Verse number 20. And they what? Straightway. Straightway left their nets and followed Him. I love that statement. We're going to read down a little bit further here. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, uh, other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And what does it say here? It says, and they what? Immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. You know, I've been preaching a long time. And I don't know how many times I've heard, whether it be with teenagers or sometimes even with adults, as they say, well, you know what, I, I'm involved right now, I've got college coming up, or I'm involved in my career, and when I retire, Brother Greg, I just really, I'm looking forward to it, because I really want to start serving the Lord then. Can I tell you this, when God tells us to serve, we don't need to say, well, I'll do it in a little while. We need to do it straightway. We need to do it right now, immediately. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that the fields are white unto harvest. It's everywhere you look. I love missions, and I, I've been I've been uh, talking to a few of our missions. I talked to one of them, uh, Brother Chris Lewis, the other day, and hearing how COVID has slowed down his work, and yet he's finding ways to reach people with the gospel, even through the COVID virus. Why? Because there's a great work to be done. Yes, it's going to require some creativity. Yes, it's going to require some resolve and a little bit of grit in our crawl to, to say, I'm not going to quit. I may labor all night. But nevertheless, Lord, at Thy Word, I'll let down those nets again. It may take me a lot of work. It may take me a lot of labor. But Lord, if that's what You want, then I'll do it. Oh, we're living in a day where God's people need to be stirred again in the area of service. To say that there is a need out there is an understatement. To say that there is a great need out there is still barely touching the surface of it. To say that the fields are white already unto harvest causes us to lift our eyes up and to see the need. I want you to notice something that I think is very, very important here. We get down to verse number 21, and the Bible says, And going on from thence he saw two brethren, other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father, and I want you to notice this phrase, mending their nets. That's an interesting statement to me. I was thinking the other day as we were uh, getting the coach ready and getting things ready for the My Place residential folks, and we weren't even sure for sure if they could come or not. But we wanted to make sure that we were ready. We've said so often before, and I've, I love the definition of Revival that I heard a preacher give one time. He said, well, all we can do is set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit should He choose to blow upon it. What if those sails had a bunch of holes in them? What if there are some problems that we needed to deal with in our hearts and in our lives that would keep us from reaching people with the gospel? The Bible tells me here that these men were busy mending their nets. They didn't want there to be one thing wrong that would cause them to lose even one fish. And can I tell you this, there are some times in our Christian lives we need to look at them and say, Lord, is there some net mending that needs to go on? If I were to go out here and reach people, men with the gospel, are there some holes in my net that needed to be mended? 
Are there some things that would cause me to lose some simply because I've not done what I needed to do to mend those holes? Some of us have some holes. Truth is, all of us do to some extent. It's a constant battle, isn't it? To keep those holes mended, to keep things prepared and ready. Oh, that we would be ready. That we would be well studied and well versed in the Word of God to be able to take this, this book and, and share it with a world that needs to hear it. I'm thankful when our, our, our folks say, Pastor, I've got someone I'd like for you to come talk to. I, I, I wish you'd come talk to them. They, they have some questions about the Bible or they have some questions about the things of the Lord. And I'm thankful when that happens and I'm glad to do it. And please don't misunderstand me. Don't stop calling because I'm saying this. But why is it that they have to come to the pastor for those things? Why is it that we as God's people, just being Christians and knowing the Word of God and laboring in the Word of God, the Bible says that in the early church, that the church went daily from house to house teaching and preaching the gospel. We're talking about not just the pastor of the church, but the people that were in it. They went and had coffee with their neighbors and they couldn't help but bring up the subject of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were in house to house everywhere they went. They were telling people about Him. Oh, that we would be well prepared and we would mend the nets for the draught. I want you to notice also that when Jesus called them, they left anything that might be a hindrance to them in their new calling. The Bible says this, and straightway they left their nets and followed Him. As we get down to verse number 21 and verse number 22, the Bible says, And immediately they left the ship and their father and followed him. You remember the story of the three men who said, Lord, we will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And, and Jesus told them uh, some of the costs of discipleship and following him. And one of them even said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Uh, we have no indication that his father was dead or even sick at that point. But his concern was, I, you know what, I've got to care for my family and once I care for my family, then I'll give you the time that is left over here to go and serve you. I'm going to take care of my dad first. Now, I'm not telling you to put your family at the back seat of serving God. But I am saying this, that when it comes to our obedience, we need to say that even family comes second. When it comes to our obedience to God in this matter, even family must come second. Look, as we get here to verse number uh, 22, the Bible says, And immediately they left their ship and their father and followed him. If you have a family that says, You've got to choose between me or serving God. Can I tell you this? It's a hard decision to make. But the truth of the matter is, we've got to serve God. I'm thankful when we have families that come along with us in serving God. But given the choice, if a family member gives an ultimatum, it's one or the other, then we cannot help but serve God. We must. We cannot deny the calling that God has placed upon our lives. Notice as we get to verse number 22, they says they left their ship and their fathers and followed Him. With Peter and Andrew, it says that they left their nets. Could you imagine... These men trying to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Lord is walking along the sea, they say, Okay, uh, Lord, give me just a moment. Let me pack up these nets. And they went over to the ship and they got this big bundle of nets. And they 
threw them up on their shoulder and they said, okay, we're going to follow you. Where are we going? And then maybe Andrew and, and or, uh, 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 James and John, they said, wait a minute, Lord, we gotta, we got to carry our boat with us. We can't leave it behind. Could you imagine trying to serve God with that kind of weight and entanglement? I'll tell you this, that when it comes to our obedience to the commission that God has given, the call that God has put upon our lives, it may cost us some things. We may have to leave some things behind. In order for us to say, yes, Lord, we may have to say, Lord, there's some things in my life I'm just going to have to, I'm going to, have to give those up to be able to serve you. Now, I'll tell you this. I love what Paul said. He, he went through a whole list of things that he had going for him. He said, you know, at the end of the list, he said, I count all those but loss. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. He said, I, I count them but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What things that were gained to me in the flesh, He said, those things are lost to me. They're, they're nothing in comparison to what I've gained by following Christ. Jesus speaking to the disciples, calling them. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The Bible says, straightway, immediately, without even thought, without even consideration, they left their nets, they left their boat, they left their father, and they followed him. God has put a calling on every one of our lives. That's not all the same. Not everybody's called to pastor. Not every person is called to go to a foreign mission field. Not every person is called to be a pastor's wife or an evangelist's wife. Not all are called to be Christian teachers. But we are all called to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all been placed under a calling of preaching the gospel to every creature. Everywhere we go, telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. This past week, I was going through and getting some things together to order a lot of new tracks, gospel tracks for our church in preparation for this spring and summer where we can get out again and start seeing people and inviting people and telling the gospel story to people. In these days and weeks and months ahead, I want our church to begin praying and focusing on the fact that there is a lost world out there that needs to hear the gospel. That the fields today are even more white and ready for harvest than they were in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we're living in a day where it seems like there are fewer and fewer laborers willing to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself this question. When was the last time that I had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. And then I want you to ask this question. How well did I do at sharing the gospel with someone? Did I struggle with it? Was I not really prepared for it? Were there maybe some holes in the net? Things I needed to deal with? Some scripture I needed to know better? 
Folks, we've been given a great task. We've been given a great work. And the sadness and the fear of my heart is in these last days, the days that I look at and say, the Lord's return is very near. It seems to me that we have all taken less and less importance. We've all not seen the urgency, the task at hand. And it's easy to do, isn't it? We get consumed with our life. We have a lot of things going on. Family to care for, jobs to deal with, bills to pay. It seems like our society has become more and more busy every day that it goes by and is constantly bombarding us with cares and burdens and concerns of this life. And I believe that is one of the tactics that Satan has used to cause God's people to forget that there's a great work to be done. There's a great task that you and I have been given by the Lord Jesus Christ. I certainly believe this, that God has come to every one of us at one point or another in our lives and has said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How have we responded to that? Are we well prepared? Do we have a good work ethic? Are we ready to suffer and struggle all through the night? Let's look in Luke chapter number 5 real quick and I'll be done. Luke chapter number 5. These men had labored all night and Peter says, Nevertheless, at thy word. Verse number 6, the Bible says, and when they had done this, they what? They enclosed a great multitude of fishes. And their net break. And I wonder even in the mending of the net if they still had a few weak spots there. I don't know that. I know that the drought was so great that the net broke. And I want you to notice what it says here in verse number 7. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. And they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. That tells me these, these friends of these, theirs, their partners, came over with their boat too. Can I tell you this? When one of us gets on fire about serving God, and the drop begins to happen, and the nets begin to break because we cannot handle the increase, then everyone else around us begins to get excited. Come on over, help me. We need some help over here. And next thing you know, that boat's a rowing over there. And they get over there and they, they not only fill the one boat with the fishes, they fill the other boat with the fishes, so much so that the Bible says that their ships begin to sink from it. Can I tell you this? When we begin to serve God the way that we ought to, it becomes contagious. It's something that will cause and encourage other Christians you say, Brother Greg, I, I don't know that I can serve God. I, I, I struggle with this. I'm nervous or, or I have some anxiety or I'm a little bit bashful or I'm a little bit shy. Can I tell you this? If one or two of us will get out of our comfort zone and say, Lord, straightway, immediately, I'll leave my nets, my boats, my father, and I'll follow you, it'll become contagious. And the next thing you know, there's going to become a partner that comes alongside them. And then maybe another partner that comes alongside the two of them. And now you got four of them out there. And another partner comes alongside each of those. And now you got eight. 
and then another, and now you got 16, and then 32, and then 64, and you can do the math and keep on going and keep on going. Can I tell you this? If we would just get to the point that these men were at and see what God would do, I think He would give a great increase. Mend our nets and lower them at His Word. He said, Brother Greg, I've labored a long time. I've got a number of years and I've just never seen God work greatly. Nevertheless, at Thy Word, Lord, I'll let them down one more time. I'll do it again. I'll put them in the water once more and see what we can do. I'll go out here one more time and knock on the door. I'll go out here one more time and find my neighbor. I'll go out here one more time and get in the house of someone and begin sharing the gospel with them. I'll do it again. Boy, I haven't seen a lot of fruit, but I'll do it again. I'll tell you this, there may be times that you and I will have to toil all night and not see anything. And God will say, I want you to lower your nets again. This time put them on the other side of the boat. Let's see what will happen. And God gives the increase. I wonder oftentimes how many times God has called us, impressed upon our hearts, put a burden upon us that we've walked away from and said, Lord, I'll do it, but I've got to take care of some other things first. And we have missed what God had in store. I wonder if God were to call us today, if He were to put upon our hearts today, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How many of us would say straightway, immediately, Lord, I'll leave all that I have and I'll focus on what you have, what you want. If it costs me my nets, I'll go. If it costs me my boat, I'll go. If it costs me my father, I'll go. But I'm willing to go. Are we that ready to serve the Lord? Oh, I wish that we would be. That's a hard thing to, hard thing to do, isn't it? It's a simple concept that God gives. It's not hard to think about. But boy, it sure is hard to do. The hardest thing we have to do every day is bring our bodies into captivity, bring our thoughts into captivity, and say, Lord, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. It's the greatest battle of the Christian life. How are we doing? How are we doing when it comes to those things? Are we ready to serve the Lord at any time? Are we willing to give up all and follow Him? The problem with the three fellows that said, We'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest, was not an unwillingness to, to follow Him. It was not an unwillingness to serve Him. It was just an unwillingness to serve Him first. Sam, will give you first choice. Does he have first place? These are just some thoughts. I, it wasn't even the message for this morning. But I hope it will be something that will challenge us, encourage us, perhaps strengthen us in these areas. Let's stand together, shall we, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, I'm 
done my best. I feel like this is what you had this morning specifically. And yet, Lord, I feel like I've perhaps uh, struggled with presenting the thoughts or the ideas, but yet I believe your word can do a great work in our hearts. I believe that your Holy Spirit can guide and direct, and I pray that he will. Father, we have such a great work to be done. Lord, so many, so many that are dying and going to hell that are within reach of our influence, within reach of us sharing the gospel with them, that yet, Lord, we've not taken the opportunity. Father, may we recommit ourselves to you. May we lay our lives down on an altar and say, Lord, it's a living sacrifice to you. I'm giving it all. You can have it for whatever you need. Father, I'm willing to give up all that I have that I can follow you first. That I can do what your bidding is first. That I can labor for you first. Lord, I pray that you'd help us recommit our hearts and our lives to this idea of the harvest, the fields that are so white that there would be none that we are in the realm of reaching under our influence that have never heard the gospel. We pray that you'll bless the invitation time and speak to hearts. And Lord, while the message has been primarily for Christians, I pray that if there's someone here today that does not know you as Savior, that they would come forward. Help us to take the Bible and show them how they can be saved. Father, for Christians today, I pray that you'd help us to think about the things that we've listened and heard this morning from your word. Lord, maybe some holes that need to be mended. Maybe just a matter of the heart and the willingness to be immediate and straightway following you. Whatever the case is, Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. May your Holy Spirit move and direct as he would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have just a verse or two of invitation. If God's spoken to you, perhaps you'd come and make a decision for Him. If you need to kneel in your seats, that's fine too. Many prefer to stay in their seat and make a decision, that's fine. Whatever the case is, if God's spoken to you, would you follow what He's leading?
Father, as we dismiss in prayer, we pray that you'll bless the message. May we take it with us in our hearts and our minds. Engrave it upon our hearts. May we not quickly forget it. Bless the time of fellowship and the food that you provided for us. Lord, thank you for it. Thank you for those that so willingly every week provide and set up and clean up. And Lord, the labor of love that they have in doing this for our time of fellowship. We pray that you would bless them and give grace to them. And thank you for their sacrifice. We pray that you'll dismiss us with your, uh, your blessings and bring us back safely again in the afternoon service. Father, speak to our hearts in these days that we so much are in need of a revival. We're so much in need of you stirring us afresh and anew that we would have fresh eyes to see this world in its undone condition, to see the need of sharing the gospel everywhere we go. May we be always conscious of it. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.